0: Livestock Letters Podcast. It's Millie here, your host from the Livestock Collective, and I'm stoked to announce that today's talent is Barb Madden. If you have anything to do with the lot feeding industry, chances are you have heard of Barb. Welcome to the podcast. How are you today, Barb? I'm great. Thank you, Millie. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's awesome to have you on board. But we start each episode with the same question. And I say that as I release the last episode, forgetting this question. (laughs) But what are three words that you would use to describe yourself with? This is a really difficult uh, question, actually, because we have such busy
1: lives and do lots of different things within our our lives. So it is hard to summarize that into three key words. But I would say enthusiastic. I'm a pretty uh, enthusiastic person. I like to get involved in things. Uh, I'm genuine. What you see is what you get. And I'd like to think that I'm pretty kind. I like to treat people and animals and the environment kindly. So they're my three words,
0: enthusiastic,
1: genuine and kind.
0: Uh, your enthusiasm definitely comes through. I think that's something we have in common. And I don't think anyone's ever said that they're kind in their three keywords. And I love that. So thank you for sharing those with us. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, Barb. You're in the lot feeding industry. How did you get into it? Tell us a bit of your background.
1: Sure. So I was born into lot feeding Uh I'll start from the start, actually. My family moved to this region in 1922. So we're in our 99th year of living uh, in this Proston area. Uh, My grandfather emigrated from Ireland when he was 16. And then four years later, when he was 22, he opened his first butcher shop. Uh, And then from then on, he grew more butcher shops. And um, my dad then took over the business when he was a younger man and... Started the feedlot in the early 1980s so we're almost into our fourth decade of feedlotting at this site Uh, and over that time we've seen some pretty amazing things like we've ridden out a lot of the beef crashes and I remember my mum saying you know the bank rang up one day and said you know you need to stop writing checks because the writing's on the wall I think you know you need to stop writing checks. And so we're all just, I was only a child at the time and I just do remember those beef crashes were a fairly stressful time, uh, not only in the feedlot industry but in the broader um, beef industry as well. So but somehow we managed to to make our way through and, um, yeah, we now have two 20,000 head feedlots. One is based at Proston in the South Burnett region and the other one is based uh, in a little town called Corumble which is just near Gundawindi. So we employ up to almost 100 staff now. So over the years, I mean, we, when we first started, we only had 200 head on feed, uh, you know, and it was just a small operation with my dad, one of his off-siders and a dog. And uh, to have grown from that to uh, where we are today is, is pretty remarkable, really.
0: Yeah, it's very remarkable. Um, your family is obviously incredible. What is your role in the business?
1: Yeah, so I am. Uh, I'm an accountant. So I went away to university and uh, went working with certain accounting firms. And then in 1999, I uh, was pregnant with my first child, and I, my husband and I both thought that it would be great to be able to bring up our children in um, an area that we were both from and. The business at Smithfield was uh, was only at 5,000 head at that time and there was a real opportunity for us both to come back and help expand this site uh, while, whilst we are also expanding our own family. So, uh, yeah, so I'm the accountant. I've got two older brothers. My eldest brother is the chief operating officer who oversees both feedlots. Uh, my next brother down he was a lawyer was trained as a lawyer and worked in the law law firms all over the world for the 15 or 20 years and then has decided to come back and he's our ceo and yeah my younger sister is also involved in the business and she has a marketing and communications background and my husband's also involved so he is the feedlot manager at um, smithfield feedlot so it is very much a family affair and whilst I would say where we, we make it work very well, but there are times like in any family, whether you're in business or not, it, um, some things can be challenging. So I think our strength is being a, a strong family, but our strength is also working through those hard times or the challenges when we don't necessarily agree or um we have differing opinions so we just learn to leave it at the boardroom, and are still able to come together at christmas time and have a fabulous time so
0: a very intelligent um family by the sounds and it sounds like you've got great systems in uh keeping your relationships Barb, you sound so proud to be part of your not only your family's business but the lot feeding industry what makes you so proud uh it's really um
1: an interesting one because i think i think for me it is about we are in the business of feeding the world so we are in food production uh anyone in the cattle business is actually it's about growing beef and beef is just such a nutritious option um, to a protein to be feeding your families and your children and i just think that um it's a really noble profession to be able to say hand on your heart we're actually doing this to produce a safe product that is nutritious. uh, And we have all of these parameters that, you know, in which we do create this product to make sure that we're doing it, uh, you know, with good animal welfare codes, with good environmental impact, with good sustainability. Um,
0: And I just think that's a really great achievement to be able to say that that's what we do. Absolutely. That's such a wonderful key message. Barb, tell us about the cattle um, that come into the feedlot. Like how far around do they come from, breed? So cattle
1: come from all over. So because that was one of the reasons why we bought the Gundawindi location was because we wanted to have access to cattle from that northern New South Wales region. So that you, we, you look at your feeder regions when you're bringing cattle in. You obviously don't want them travelling too far uh, by truck. You want them, you know, within a couple of hours a radius from the feedlot so that they have just a quick trip in, they're comfortable, they arrive uh, and they can settle into the feedlot land. That doesn't always work that way, obviously, because uh, sometimes seasons don't dictate that, you know, the local areas can supply the right cattle coming in. So sometimes we do have to go a bit further to source the quality cattle that we're chasing, but ideally we'd like them to be within a two or a three-hour radius of, of the feedlots.
0: Yeah, thank you. And it's grown so much. What has been the catalyst for that? We, uh, we're a business,
1: uh, we're a family that likes to push ourselves, I suppose. And we, whilst we've been very frugal in a lot of our um, in, in the startups, you know, we we run on the smell of an oily rag. Um, you know, if you could make it, you would rather than buying it brand new. Or you'd get you'd you'd put up with secondhand machinery because, you know, there'd be benefits in saving that money so we could build new pens, for example. Uh, you know, we were quite often underpaying ourselves because we wanted to be able to afford to pay our staff better than we were. So I think quite often historically we've we've been very frugal in how we've grown. And I think we all genuinely just love what we do. I think, um, you know, it's, it's every day, you know, you're waking up, I'm an accountant. So some days, if I'm working in the Brisbane office, I don't see any cattle. But I know that every single number that I'm crunching in my accounting software and working out your cost benefit analysis and your net profits and your gross margins on your X, Y and Z, I know it's all relating back to the cattle that we have in our care. And that gives you the, you know, the drive to wake up every day and go to work and do the best job that you can. And I'd like to think that we instil that sense of it's kind of all about the cattle, whether you're cleaning the water troughs or you're a truck driver bringing cattle into into the feedlots or you're a pen rider or you're an accountant or you're in the feed mill, you know, everything we do is about caring for these animals in our care and I, I do feel that we do that quite well and so no matter who you are everyone's the same and we all have this same sense of purpose and urgency in our actions to care for these animals.
0: Barb, that's such a key message and I'm so excited that you've been sharing that with me. Now you're also involved in the Lot Feeders Association, can you tell us about your involvement with that?
1: Yes. So the Australian Lot Feeders Association is the peak industry body that governs feedlots in Australia. They're responsible for, you know, creating a policy with regard to how feedlots run. They oversee the National Feedlot Accreditation Scheme alongside of Ausmeet, making sure that the rules and regulations around feedlots and how they operate uh, are on track. And I just decided this was I think about 2013 I went to a BeefX conference on the Gold Coast and I thought wow this is really exciting you know this is because you can quite often lose sight when you're on the farm you're on the feedlot every day and you're doing what you do Uh, sometimes you can lose sight of that bigger picture that global picture around why we do what we do and who else is in the industry and so going to that conference really sparked in me, oh, wow, this is a this is an exciting industry and there's some really great people working in this industry and how can I get involved in somehow contributing? You know, I, I'm also quite an altruistic person. I like to give back to whether it's my own community or my family or, or the, my, my workforce, you know, I like to be a giver. So I thought, well, how can I then if we're in this feedlot game how can I give back to my industry? So that's when I started joining. I was an external um, member on on the events committee. So I started just as an, I wasn't on Alpha Council. I would just tune into committee meetings and I'd help plan events. And I loved it. It was just so great. It was such an exciting avenue. Uh, You're still working full time, but you're able to, create some fun and excitement for the industry. And so from there, I then joined Alpha Council in 2015. And I've been on, I've been an Alpha Councillor since then. I'm also now the treasurer. So uh, and I'm just really proud of the work that Alpha does for not only again for all of the cattle that we have in our care, but it's about advocacy for our industry and for who we are and it's about providing you know, the best resources for our feedlot members and their staff so that they can be skilled up and knowledgeable in the region, uh, you know, of feedlotting. So it's just a really exciting industry body that I think is very proactive about wanting to be better and wanting to be best practice and what does that look like and how can we achieve that? So, yeah, it's an exciting...
0: I really enjoy my time on the alpha board. Yeah, it sounds like you do. You're so enthusiastic. We'll go back to one of your keywords. So enthusiastic about it. And it's great to hear. Barb, I think that you would have come across some challenges, but both being um, quite optimistic people, I want to talk about the opportunities, any improvements that you've seen in the past however many years or you've been involved in the industry your whole life. But what are some key moments where you thought, right, we're on the right track here? been in
1: the game a long time now so it's hard to kind of look back but I think you know when I first started uh, I was I was married with a small child so there's no childcare. flexible working wasn't a thing I remember I you know I had to go home or I had to leave work uh, for a playgroup or some meeting with the kids at school and my brother kind of looked at me sideways saying well if you're not here on site then you're not actually working and I thought well you know and that's 20 years ago and now look at us now we well i know we certainly embrace flexible working arrangements you know particularly with working mothers how can we accommodate you've got all the skill set and the knowledge um how can we tap into that still enable you to do your role as being a you know major child care giver for your children um but also tap into that resource and skill set that you have so i think that's a real uh has been a wonderful opportunity for us as a business and i think the industry uh, more broadly is employing more women so i know we are up to almost 35 percent of our workforce are women Uh, it's that flexible working arrangements so people can and that's not only women as well that's that's men as well you know it's about understanding it's not just about you know working your eight or nine hours uh, every day five days a week it's about having that flexibility in, in what we do I also see that there's been great opportunities in, well, this is where I see one of our opportunities is how do we sell our story better? How do we be better advocates for our red meat industry? And how do we share the story that red meat is actually part of the solution to solving environmental problems? Red meat is actually going to solve, um, you know, or a population's uh, lack of nutrients in their diets, you know, red meat is going to be a problem solver for the world. And I see that as a wonderful opportunity. If we can somehow all be coming together as a unified voice uh, across the globe and sharing these just some key messaging on on why red meat is so important, uh, I, I think I'm excited by that.
0: Yeah and Bob you're exactly the leader to to make that happen. Can you quickly tell us about the Alpha website because I believe you've been part of developing that and that's doing exactly what you've just said that unified voice and key messages and sharing those good narratives.
1: Yes that's right. So Alpha identified probably almost, you know, almost a decade a decade ago that we needed to get better in, at sharing our story. So it's a lot of a lot of producers are talking. A lot of industries within the ag industry are saying, "How do we share our story better?" And so Alpha has been working on a grain-fed beef website. It's grainfedbeef.com.au. Uh, and the and the reason behind that was we wanted to be able to share our story. It wasn't Google feedlots and see what pops up. And gosh, good luck. You might get some good story or you might get some really horrendous stories now actually google grain fed beef and we will pop up and our website will be the true north for what it looks like on a feedlot why feedlots exist what we feed cattle you know it's about real transparency around what we do who we are who are the people behind feedlots Um, and it's it's an avenue for curious consumers i know even in my own family We've got family members that are questioning, you know, whether grain-fed beef is better than grass-fed beef or whether it's good for the environment or, you know, and even I had a story. My little niece came home from school this week, or last week, and said there was a politician came to her school to present awards to to the kids for whatever, and in his two minutes that he got up and spoke, he said, and you all should stop eating red meat because it is bad for you and bad for the environment. Now, these are year one, two and three children. So I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, how is this even possible? So I'm writing a letter to the principal. I'm writing a letter to that politician saying how inappropriate that was. But unless we have our industry has a platform to be able to share our story, share the true facts about what we do and have real transparency around, you know, all of our processes then, you know, we're going to just always be battling these half-truths, myths-truths, these lies about our industry. So Alpha was, uh, I think, really, um, what's the word, you know, quite insightful thinking years ago, this is where we need to head. And quite often due to funding and, you know, resourcing to try and get it off the ground, we've been very fortunate um, that it was launched at Beef Week in May, and, uh, yeah, it's fabulous. I encourage everybody to jump on and have a look. And if you are curious about anything to do with feedlotting and it's not grass versus grain, it's all, we're all in this together. This is just one section of the beef supply chain that uh, if you want to know more about it, there's lots of information.
0: Yeah, absolutely there is. I encourage all listeners to jump on and have a look because it's really a fantastic resource. Um, Barb, how scary about your niece? How powerful is that? That politician coming in there. That's so scary. Well, but again, unless someone
1: stands up, unless someone stands up and says that is not appropriate, you need to leave your personal opinions or your political opinions at the front gate. These are small children. But again, this is what we're up against and it's being infiltrated through... For society so unless we as red meat advocates stand up and say no we're not going to tolerate that anymore and these are the actual you know and these are the resources where you go to find out more information and it's not only the grain fed beef website it's mla are doing some wonderful work with their red meat green facts website so there's lots of i think we're arming ourselves as an industry with these um you know, websites, but it's it's about then how do we all become these micro-influencers in our life saying, hang on a minute, I'm going to unmute myself and I'm not going to tolerate
0: that anymore
1: and, you know, this is why
0: yeah and have those tough conversations which is what the training that we're delivering for livestock leaders is trying to do and barb you attended one in brisbane i was unfortunately joining virtually um, i think the borders opened up something ridiculous like two days later so i couldn't i couldn't actually get over to queensland but i was really fortunate to meet you at beef week not long ago in rockhampton what were your take-home messages from that training
1: Oh gosh, you know, when I'm I'm nearly 50 and I think gosh, I went into that workshop thinking, you know, I maybe I'm too old for this or what am I going to learn that's new, that's any different to anything or any other professional development that I've done. And can I say after the two days I came away completely so inspired that this simple messaging that the livestock leaders um workshop was about uh, was just transformational in my own life and the the take-home message for me was it's about this shared values messaging so that politician that stood up on stage and me as a feedlotter we at some point share a similar value whether it's about wanting sustainability for future generations whether it's you know providing nutritious meals for our family and communities, you know, at some point we would agree on some shared value. Uh, and, and, and it's this is the challenge of us as red meat advocates. How do we control our own passion and enthusiasm and, and not wanting to hammer them all with, with facts about why we're amazing and don't you know we're amazing? <laughs> it's actually about distilling it all back down to what's the shared value? Why do I do what I do? why is he saying what he's saying and trying to find that common ground and then gently gently yeah this was the one of the take-home messages was sprinkling the science in the conversations and then it's that call to action to we'll head to this website to find out more rather than you know ramming down this is this is why you should believe what I believe and I'm right and you're wrong so to me it was it was that was a real eye-opener that hang on a minute even if You feel as though they're your enemy, we actually do deep down have a shared value. And how do we tap into that and connect on that level? Which I just thought was great. And there was that bell curve that the livestock leaders uh, put up on stage, up up on the PowerPoint that had, you know, 4% or roughly of the population of vegan or vegetarian, 4% of farmers. And quite often the farmers are just talking to the 4% who are, you know, anti-animal production. And instead, there's a whole ninety-two percent on the bell curve that are just wanting to feed their families safe, nutritious meals. And hang on a minute, how about we start talking to those people as well, rather than just trying to fight the fight the the ones who are against us. So, I had um, I took home some real key messages from that, and for me, it was also about okay, well, you've got to be brave now. You've got to actually, if you believe in this really strongly, you need to get out there and and be an advocate. And so hence why I'm now stepping out of my comfort zone, giving a podcast for the very first time uh, with my heart pounding out of my chest. Uh, But it's unless unless we do it, then we're not influencing anyone. We're not creating any change. So... I just can't recommend it highly enough. I
0: just thought it was fabulous. Oh, Bob, well, I'm, I'm sorry to make you so uncomfortable. You're doing a fabulous job <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. That um, that middle part of the bell curve is such an opportunity that we really want to to tap into and people like yourselves who are so empowered to do so are just making a difference. So congratulations. Um. You're, you've been a, a leader, not just a livestock leader, like a leader in the industry. I believe you've been part of the Beef Indigenous um, Movement and ALRP. Can you please tell me a bit about them? Like, I, actually, I don't know what they are. Um, start from scratch.
1: Okay, so it's the ARLP, which is the Australian Rural Leaders <laughs> that's Program. I don't know. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, so that was a that's, a, that's a national leadership group that is Solely focused on rural, regional, remote uh, communities. So it's people who are either living and working in those communities or it's people directly, their businesses or, or jobs align with supporting these communities. And it's, I'm going to say, it's been going for 25 years. It has a very powerful alumni. And I was very fortunate to have been on Course 14, which was back in 2008 so it's a course i would recommend anyone listening to this podcast if you are anyway connected with rural regional remote australia you should apply it's it's amazing and you will meet uh, a network of really fabulous people who some will be like minded some won't be like minded but that is the challenge or the the part of the learning is how do you all come together from diversified groups and and thinking to unite to support rural, regional and remote communities. So I did that and then I had a real sense of I now need to give back. Someone has invested or sponsored me to do this course. How do I now contribute back to to rural, regional and remote Australia? Of course, I was working and living in, in a rural area, but I thought I needed to actually do something more. So I actually created a, um, I called it the Beef, Indus, Beef Industry Indigenous Alliance because there is a local Aboriginal community just down the road called Sherberg, and I have some connections out there. I used to be the accountant at the Sherberg mm-hmm. Council. And I know that they had a cattle um, property and they would always just sell their cattle to the local sale yard. And I thought, well, we would then go into that sale and buy those cattle. What if we could actually come together and I could, we could talk about, well, what are we looking for when we're buying feeder cattle? And is there any way that they could maybe just tailor their production system to, you know, give us a call when they were ready to sell cattle? Uh, And so, and I also tapped into some ILC properties up in North Queensland, Welcome and Crocodile Station. And I got some cattle coming down from those stations and I had some cattle coming from Cherbourg and they put them on feed in the feedlot here and they followed, I had some Indigenous people come down from those stations and over their feeding cycle, they were on feed for 100 days, they would come and do training days on site and look at, well, how do we induct them? Why do we do what we do? What's their feeding cycle? What's How do you pen ride them? What's their welfare protocols? Uh, all of those things. And then we followed them through to Kilco Pastoral Company where we uh, went through the, the processing stage and then we went on and had a celebra- celebration lunch in at cha-cha-cha in Brisbane where we got to taste some of the, the beef. So it was essentially a paddock to plate. That um, was a long time ago and it was fabulous. Uh, we had some real um, real amazing moments where we had the mayor from Cherbourg come out and he met my dad for the first time and it was this real connection between communities, um, breaking down some stereotypes. You know, I was called some pretty awful things by some of the people in the Indigenous community. And then, you know, so it wasn't always easy, but it was overall it was was a highly successful project and with a view to rolling it out across other Indigenous communities that might have had cattle that um, could go through the program. So it's not only about flying the cattle through, but it's training these people through the process I had small children at the time, so um, it's challenging to try and do everything. So that one just sort of was a one, one-off one pilot program. But the networks that we've created from that project are still in operation today. Um, we've got some backgrounding uh, properties that we use through the Indigenous groups. And so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a feel-good story, that one.
0: It absolutely is. I'm. I feel so inspired, Barb. Um, that's. Yeah. You know, it sounds like you had so much fun with it as well. Like the way you're talking about it, it was obviously a great success. So, congratulations. I want to know what's in the pipeline for Barb. Is there anything else coming up that you've got your eyes on? Good
1: question. Um, I'm. I. <laughs> this might not be answering your question, but I've decided that I'm making it my life's mission to change the narrative around red meat and that it is a solution to environmental problems and it's, you know, it's a superior food that people should be eating. So to me that's what it's about. It's about ramping up my advocacy. I might need to tone it back a bit so I'm not just um, ramming information down people's throats. So I will be remembering my livestock leaders' learnings in the background, but I'm just really really enthusiastic about changing that narrative because there's some really interesting um, research that's being done. And I do encourage people to hop onto Google Rethinking Methane. This is one that's come across my desk recently and it's it's actually saying that cattle grazing cattle is actually good for the environment. You know, it's this carbon cycle where methane is only... Uh, going up into the atmosphere and it's recycled every 10 years. So it comes back down, plants grow, cattle eat the grass, the grass go, it goes up as methane, it comes back down as CO2, you know, whereas carbon dioxide being emitted from, you know, electricity generation and transport just stays up in the atmosphere for thousands of years. So I see this as a really exciting space that actually we or cattle are going to be part of this solution to uh, solving this climate problem change or climate variability conversation so I'm really excited by that and I think it's about how do we get that unified voice across the globe to share this message so for me that's a real challenge how do we get people to start sitting up and paying attention
0: comes through so loud and clear I was so excited to do this podcast because I I just love your energy and I just on that brilliant key message that you've just delivered I'll start to wrap things up so thank you so much for joining the Livestock leaders podcast okay thanks for having me as always a big thank you for our audience for joining us make sure you go back and check out all of our previous episodes give us a follow and a review and check us out on social media